Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. At booksandnachos.com, you can find over 100 reviews from fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. There's also links to our forums, our Facebook and Twitter pages, and information about our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. At booksandnachos.com, we're here to find you something great to read. Diane, it's Wednesday, March 29th, 2017. Nearly 26 years since Agent Cooper rocked the mic with his autobiography. This is Books and Nachos. I'm Stuart. And this is Arnie and Rock the Mic. Let me just start with a diatribe. We are reviewing the autobiography of FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper, My Life, My Tapes. But there is no microphone. Unlike the previous Dale Cooper tapes, this came out as a book. No audiobook. Now, a little behind-the-scenes info. When we reviewed Laura Palmer's diary, I went on a rant. Why is there no audiobook of this read by Cheryl Lee? The day after we recorded, they announced an audiobook recorded by Cheryl Lee, so we had to do a pickup. But now let me again say, why is there not an autobiography read by Kyle McLaughlin? Uh, because this one wasn't the bestseller that The Secret Diary was. I mean, that let's not forget, that thing went all the way to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, and Laura Palmer was the central mystery of Twin Peaks. Agent Cooper is a big part of Twin Peaks, but I don't know how mysterious he is. I don't know that there were that many secrets I was dying to know about his life. And in fact, the idea that we were going to cover 22 years of his recordings, I was hoping they were abridged. I'm like, I don't want to hear everything he's had to say about everything on tape because God knows he talks about chocolate bunnies. He gets very fastidious with his detail work <laughs> and I only want to hear the good stuff. So fortunately, a lot of these tapes were confiscated. I guess it was about classified material. So there are missing years and lots of things that he probably commented on that are not here. But what we're getting is essentially Every time Dale Cooper picked up a microphone, someone transcribed that and assembled the best bits into, yeah, the second novel in the Twin Peaks universe came out right as it was being canceled. And I think a lot of people didn't care and didn't know that this existed. Yeah, I knew. I owned this book. I didn't think I did, and I was rummaging through some boxes, and I actually found it. So I bought it around the same time as Twin Peaks and Access Guide to the Town when this was all wrapping up. But this book, unlike The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, which got a new printing and is available on Kindle and everything, I'm happy that I have my original copy. As yes, you are. This book is now $40 used, $71 new, $129 collectible on Amazon. <laughs> Yeah, I know that because I paid that. I unfortunately am not really good about keeping things that I collect. I'll get a little something and then I'll give it away. And all my Twin Peaks stuff is gone. I had to rebuy it for these shows and uh, I paid that price. I think I got it for about 45 bucks in pretty good condition. And <laughs> I love that Amazon's page says, sell yours for a gift card. We'll buy it for $1.10. <laughs> <laughs> wow generous yeah 
That's usually, yes, that is usually what happens to me when I sell things, to take quite a loss here. But this is the first time I'm reading it. I bought it back in the day, and I think I got about five pages in, and I just, I don't think I ever consciously said, I don't like this, or I don't want to read it. I think I just set it down and never picked it up. I just couldn't find the energy to finish it. It's a relatively easy read. Uh, it's only about 200 pages. And again, they're little tape transcripts. They're snippets. You can whip through this in a matter of hours, but I just, I, I lost enthusiasm. And around this time, senior year, summer after, I was on a major Stephen King kick. So I bought these books, The Access Guide, The Cooper Tapes. I flipped through them. I never read them. I always intended to read them. This was my first time cracking the cover of this, and I very carefully cracked the cover knowing what it would cost to replace. But yeah, I hadn't read it either. I ended up reading it right as we were finishing up our now peaking recordings because I wanted to see if there were any answers about Wyndham Earl. Because what we have here is basically a sequel to The Diary of Laura Palmer. It is first-person epistolary accounts from his life, starting when he's 13 years old, around the time Laura Palmer started her diary, and ending as he's rolling into Twin Peaks. And 35 years old. I want to point out, he is lived so much longer than Laura Palmer did. That is 22 years of content. <laughs> and yet it's about the same length of book and a much faster read. Yeah, because it's just not as compelling. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and, and restate that. I mean... I think that when you're reading Secret Diary, you're looking for clues. Who killed her? Watching her innocence fade away in a very contained five years, you watch a, a happy little 12-year-old become depraved, uh, abused, and full of secrets Laura Palmer. Agent Cooper is pretty much the same guy he was when he was 13. He, When you're reading these opening uh, segments, I don't see a lot of character growth, honestly. He is the chipper Boy Scout then and in the show. Yeah, he is literally an Eagle Scout. You know, they always referred to him as a Boy Scout because of how he acted. But no, it is very literal. And I did think that it was convenient. Early on, he's like, I know what I want to be. I want to be an FBI agent. In some of the first entries, he's sending letters to J. Edgar Hoover <laughs> yep. saying how much he wants to be a uh, fed and going to visit J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI, and it's like, wow, I still know a lot of people from my childhood, and there's just very, very few people who had such a path. But fortunately, Cooper does stray. There's a period of hippiness, there's a period of wandering. He eventually returns to the dream of the FBI agent, but he doesn't always stay there. I, I was kind of glad about that. I, I feel like he's mostly there. I, I, again, I would argue this is a character that doesn't feel like he changes a lot. I think things happen to him that emotionally impact him. He puts down the mic on occasion and, uh, yeah, goes on self-exploratory journeys. But I think that's the character in the TV show as well. I mean, what I'm curious about in the opening is what are his influences? If he is growing up in 1967, a time of counterculture and great upheaval in American society, a time in which being a, a cop or a federal agent or law enforcement officer is not deemed cool by a large population of 
the young, what would bring him to that? Uh, that was what I wanted to see. His dad basically puts tapes on him because he sees that as the future. His dad is a printmaker and uh, ends up printing like maps of the moon for the moon launch. And he wants his son to be able to record in the new futuristic technology of audio tape. So he buys him a reel-to-reel for Christmas. And I do love that fact that he like straps it to a backpack and gets extension cords and tries to do stuff with a reel-to-reel. Because yeah, in the 60s, you did not have portable recording technology at all like you'd have in the 80s when they had the micro cassettes or even before. But I know my father was dictating into micro cassettes even in the late 70s, but not in the 60s. And you seem a little bit harsh on this, is what I'm getting from your comments. I'm going to say this. I found his stories to be mostly really amusing, and I didn't see anywhere on the book where it says this was written by, oh, there it is, as heard by Scott Frost is on the title page, but it's not anywhere on the cover, not on the spine. And I think Scott Frost, I did not like his episodes of Twin Peaks, you can hear those reviews at nowpeakingpodcast.com, but I think he has captured Agent Cooper's voice, his cadence, his rhythm, his verbiage. I can hear in my head Kyle McLaughlin saying every word in this book. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to come off as too harsh. If that's what I'm coming off as, I would say you're not going to learn a whole lot and you're not going to see a lot new uh, by doing this. But I will definitely agree if you just love the performance that Kyle McLaughlin gives. And if you see, as I do, as him being the thing that thrust Twin Peaks, even in its weakest episodes, into being watchable television, then yeah, I think you're going to have a good time reading this book because there are many anecdotal, humorous moments from his life. And I do feel like, yeah, that that part I appreciate throughout the book. But as far as what we're going to learn, I'll go ahead and spill it. What really angers me is that, like Laura, they try to imply that early in his life, he becomes a target of something supernatural. That his mother, I think, is a psychic, or at least someone that believes in the power of dreams and shares similar dreams with her son. When he has asthma attacks, he has visions of a man that is coming to get him, and she seems to know who that is. And I'm just thinking, please don't try to tie this to Bob and the mysticism of Twin Peaks. That is not what I want. But in Firewalk With Me, he was able to tell Albert... I know who the woman being murdered is. She's <laughs> serving a great abundance of food. So he, long before he got to Twin Peaks, apparently, yes, Agent Cooper had these visions. Of course, nothing in Firewalk With Me jibes with this book because Firewalk With Me was made the following year. And in this book, Cooper is investigating Teresa Banks. There's no Agent Desmond. Sam isn't there. No David Bowie in this book. So... Uh, if you're looking for continuity when it comes to the later parts, you're you're kind of screwed. Again, if you were looking as anyone would when they picked up the secret diary to find out things and to learn of events that are not going to be shared on the TV show, I don't feel like this book has a whole lot to offer. Again, the early influences, I was surprised to know he had a brother and he was a draft dodger and that, that was a source of conflict that Dale would want to go and be a lawman while his brother lived in Canada and called him a sellout was an interesting conflict that 
Didn't have a whole lot of resolution, but wasn't something I was expecting. Exactly. It doesn't go anywhere is my problem. You call this a novel, and I just always have problems. You call Laura Palmer's diary a novel. I guess it is a gathering of pages of novel length that tells a fictional story. But my problem with both the diary and this is when you're doing anecdotes from a life, you miss an arc. And I would think something set up with that brother in the first act should have payoff later. In one of the almost final entries, he's like, I was going to see my brother and it didn't happen. I guess at this point we're strangers. I haven't seen him in 23 years. So I don't know what that really added to his characterization unless they were setting up stuff to introduce later on. He's now in Twin Peaks on the Canadian border. Scott Frost was in the writer's room with Harley Payton and Mark Frost. Maybe they had thoughts of bringing him into Twin Peaks season three and we'd be like, aha, we know about him from the tapes book. Yeah, I think that's, it's a good lead. I mean, I don't think, when you listen to us talk about episode by episode, I think there's a lot of times where they they drop seeds that may never sprout roots. You know, I think the writers always like to leave doors open in which they can come through. And having an extended family for Cooper is a good idea. You know, I like his dad. Uh, we'll, We'll learn a lot about his failed romances throughout time. I don't know, again, what that really leads to. But the mom dies at a pivotal age. And I do feel like the kid experiences a whole lot of death very early on. He's obsessed with looking at corpses and he has about like five, when normally there would only be like maybe one similar event, this kid has five of them before he's 17 years old. First, his grandma drops dead from making cherry pie, no less. (laughs) I think that's trying a little too hard. Maybe we don't have to. I never got the sense that Cooper was obsessed with cherry pie. He also likes all kinds of pie. He doesn't only eat cherry. It's just because very early on, like the first episode, he's eating cherry pie and they've added that to the marketing. But remember, Norma did serve him other types of pie. Yeah, I don't like it when a tie-in hits the same note. Like, remember this? We know you like this. It's, uh, yeah, I got it. You don't have to do this. I'm reminded one time Prince told his fans, don't wear purple to my concerts. I know (laughs) that you want to please me, but don't do it. And that's kind of what I feel like here. Some of the best stuff is when he completely steps away from all that we know about Cooper. But when they got to hit the familiar notes, they hit them really loudly. But again, with the death thing, I mean, obviously, some of them are historical Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy you got to mention those if he's coming of age at that time it's what's going to sort of create tension between him and the neighbor that he's fallen in love with Marie she starts to become well at first she starts to become a hippie then she becomes a Jesus freak and then she just seems mentally ill but she's in judgment of him and his pursuit of wanting to be a lawman and this is the start to This book should not be called My Life, My Tapes. It should be Dale Cooper, My Lifetime of Sexual Frustration. Because he constantly has failed attempts with women. I think he's a virgin into his 20s, well into his college experience. There is a period where he goes off on the road and something could have happened there that he never talks about. But my God, he and Marie try to have sex on the 4th of July and there's a forest fire that starts because of the fireworks. He is just ill-fated for relations with the opposite sex, which again, I wonder if they're foreshadowing both Wyndham Earl's wife and Annie that 
every time he tries to get with a woman, things go bad, and they started bad and got worse, but... He has the personality of someone who has not succeeded in sex, that he's thrown himself into work, and, and that he is... Sometimes he doesn't have relatable human interactions. I mean, he seems more robot, and... Yes, I think that it would be hard to date someone like Cooper, because just the way that he's wired, the way his brain works, that, you know, he learns about sex by spying on the health class. He has a whole thing where he, he goes undercover and climbs through the air vents to, to see what the girls are learning about their bodies. And that's what actually gets J. Edgar Hoover to invite him to Washington, was he liked the fact that he did that whole recording wiretapping thing on them. <laughs> Wonder why J. Edgar Hoover would. <laughs> Yeah, it was, I mean, there are, the humor's good. I'm going to go ahead and say that. I did laugh often during this. I did feel like, yeah, there was a lot to appreciate about young Cooper having very similar scenarios again and again and again. The mother dying. She had a brain aneurysm, bled out, passed very quickly, but continues to come to him in dreams. Did that feel like that paid off enough to you? No, it never really went anywhere. She primarily showed up when he was very young, and I didn't know if it was a spirit like we'd see in the show. Is it a real dream? I mean, because it's coming from Twin Peaks, I'd be inclined to say spirit, but because this is coming from Scott Frost, I'm not so sure. Yeah, and I'm not sure that it that the writers in the writer's room would want to bring that in to anything that they would do in season three. Scott Frost, I, I'll damn his episodes again, but he's very funny in knowing how the rhythm of humor should work. Like, he's going to go off after some bicycle thieves, and then the tape stops, and then it comes back, and it's like, well, they stole my tape recorder. I just got it back. The police found it. And I mean, it's just funny stories that makes this an affable read, but nothing I read enlightens me to his character or makes me feel closer to him. It's merely, I liked him on the show and his personality is here. There's some interesting stuff as, and yes, they do try to forest gump it with some historical events a little bit, but overall, I don't feel like I get much out of this, especially his early years when he's going to camp and then he decides to hitchhike back versus take the bus and how old was he when he did that i'm surprised the parents he said he got in trouble when he got home but i think that's like call the cops at when he was 14 or 15 yeah everything we're talking about right now is from the ages of 13 to 16 he actually graduates from high school early marie ends up dying inexplicably. Uh, they went on a vacation together and he, he leaves her alone and she drowns at a lake. It crushes him. So he applies to leave high school early and disappears and stops recording himself for a period of time. It allows us to still have some mystery to Cooper and it allows uh, the character to grow up a little. So when he picks up a tape recorder again, and I think it is a, a more compact. It's not reel-to-reel -reel tape, but I think it's actually cassettes when he picks them up in the 70s. He's a, a late adolescent, early 20-something. He is going to try his hands at a couple different things. So he, before college, he's considering the circus, and uh, I guess he's just not a good enough knife thrower. <laughs> it's extreme in both cases, right? He wants to be a clown, or he wants to... <laughs> Be a fed and... Some might say, but um, what's the difference, you know? I mean, sets it up for more jokes. He even tries his hand at manual labor, and they have a weird moment where he's with a guy that had 
I think, gone to prison and had been doing it for much of his 50 years of life and ends up killing himself in a very dramatic, fiery way. The idea of fire, let's just get to this. Are they trying to say that the fire that walks with me has been walking with Cooper his whole life? I hadn't put that together, but you are right. There is a lot of incidents of fire here. Yeah, no, the, you mentioned the bottle rockets and making out the girl as a teenager. His first job, this guy Jim, takes him to his apartment, shows him all of this writing that he's done throughout his life. It's just stacks and stacks of paper. Cooper leaves and the guy burns up. He lights those papers, I think, intentionally on fire. And while they don't recover his body, it's it's a fiery death. He'll date an arsonist. I did like that story. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah that was funny i read it as mostly wherever cooper goes tragedy followed you know from the grandma on it just seemed like every place he went really bad things happened to people and i didn't catch the fire thread but yeah i think that obviously there's some allusion to that and stabbing. I mean, it should be said, one of the first deaths that he sees is a friend of his uncle was stabbed in the street and falls over dead. And then in college, he finally does enroll in Havenhurst and, and goes and gets his degree and has an incident where he follows a suspicious man but doesn't get to stop them before he knifes a co-ed and she bleeds out in front of him. And of course... All building up to what we know from the show, Cooper himself is going to get stabbed uh, once he applies to the FBI. Yes. The Wyndham Earl years. I mean, that's why we're really reading if we hope to learn about a mystery. If there is a mystery to Cooper's life, and one of them which they're teasing, maybe Bob has been chasing him since he was a kid, or at least some spirit that's blue that has been outside his window and is perpetually threatening him with fire... Keep in mind, that could be something to deal with Arthurian legend and the way that Scott Frost et al. planned the season finale for season two to go. Yeah, there are definitely things that we talked about when we talked about that episode 30 that Lynch threw out and that this book was meant to be a tease for. This book was supposed to come out right after that finale, but because ABC delayed it, it actually came out in between the announcement of cancellation and the airing of the last two episodes and about a year and a half before Firewalk with me. And I definitely went into it looking for Wyndham Earl stuff. There's a lot of backstory with Wyndham Earl. It's a lot of tell don't show on the series. So it's really difficult to parse out. Some of it doesn't entirely make sense. So I really, really wanted to know the Wyndham Earl stuff. And I really, really put down this book disappointed in it. Yeah, I mean, it's really just a matter of two years, really. 1977, Cooper applies to join the FBI, and it's Earl that sends him the admission papers. Like They have a relationship. His first relationship with the FBI is Wyndham Earl, and they will meet again after the three months of training. He's going to be assigned to Pittsburgh, and that's also where he's going to meet some of the the favorites of the show, Albert, Gordon Cole, and yes, Diane. We got to know what uh, are we going to learn about Diane? Well, uh, they keep that tease going. I, I think that what we learn, the one description we get for Diane was that he says that she's a cross between a saint and a cabaret singer. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I have no idea, but his imagery often eludes me. I like the two things they drop the first is at one point he's like diane i hope you don't mind the fact that i address these tapes to you even if i'm quite obviously just giving my own thoughts i mean he had 
tapes for a decade before he ever knew of a Diane. And so it explains that opening ritual. And also, he eventually asks her to dinner, and they have one night out. Yeah, it's not just dinner. I mean, read between the lines there. What's interesting about the book is that most of it is Cooper's voice, but they have assembled these transcriptions in chapters. So they are reading like books. And at the head of each chapter, we hear a contrasting opinion. Someone else from Cooper's life will weigh in on the stories that he's talking about. And Diane weighs in on that. If you listen to her description of what it was like to go for Chinese food with Cooper and how much she enjoyed sucking the skin on the Peking duck, I think they had sex. I think we find out that Diane and Cooper slept together once. That was kind of a shock. I usually have such a dirty mind. How could I not think sucking the skin on the Peking duck is a reference? Yeah, you definitely need to read that again. But she was like, yeah, we only went out to dinner once. I'm like, you're not talking about dinner. He has that trouble. I mean, he talks about that, that when it involves the female persuasion and his work, he oftentimes gets distracted. And that's certainly the lesson of Wyndham Earl. We find out that all of this is happening by 1978. He has met Wyndham Earl. They are partnered together. They are playing chess. And there are two abductions of note. Wyndham Earl disappears for four days and then can't say where he's been. He's went to some abyss. It makes me think very much of what happened repeatedly to Major Briggs, the abductions where he doesn't remember where he's been. Yes, exactly. They even imply that it was happening in the middle of a mob war in which these guys kept getting their hands cut off and some hands would have a white insignia and some hands would have a black insignia. So again, how much do we want to believe that the lore that was specific to Twin Peaks White Lodge, Black Lodge, Bob and all of that is really something that is an international force that has been chasing Cooper since he was a little boy in Philadelphia. I don't want that to be the story. I don't like that they're trying to make those connections. I go with it more with Wyndham Earl because as we know from the series, Wyndham Earl was Project Blue Book who was investigating the spirits in the woods of Twin Peaks. And that obviously happened before this. And so whatever happened with Wyndham Earl and the spirits of the woods may have followed him. That is something I can go with. I mean, it's what called him back at the end to go try to find the Black Lodge. I don't want it to follow Cooper since childhood, but I'm okay with it coming in with Earl. I like the idea that the most magical things happen to Twin Peaks. I don't like the idea that the magic can go anywhere in the world and that it's been following a guy who admittedly has a curiosity about the supernatural. And I like that Cooper has unorthodox methods. He's not just an FBI agent. He will go to mystical realms, although not a lot here. Yeah, Wyndham Earl disappears, probably goes to the Black Lodge, and then a few months later, Cooper goes on vacation, gets drugged, and wakes up to find out that uh, Wyndham Earl's wife has been kidnapped and, and goes missing for two months, that armed guards supposedly busted in and, and hauled her away, and it eventually comes out that when she's found, she was hooked on heroin and some other mysterious drug. Sounds a little like Audrey mixed with the blue drug that Mike was on is how I kind of read that. Yeah, and why would you take that from uh, the show? Like, that seems like a big mistake. And during this time, I also just found it interesting the tightrope they walk, because Agent Cooper, 
Dale Cooper from the start of this book, the Eagle Scout, upstanding. But he does knowingly have an affair in his college years with a married woman. And then her husband gets injured and she has to go. But this seems to be the flaw of his character also is women who are attached. And even before her kidnapping, in the writing, it comes through that there's an attraction between Dale and Carolyn Earl and... He is trying to make sure he's not left alone with her and that he's always with Wyndham. And I also don't get that Wyndham's as big a mentor to him as the show made it out to be. Agreed. Big, yeah, I, I was real surprised by that. Their relationship is rather short. Like you said, it's a couple of years. And they talk about Wyndham Earl being in the insane asylum and that Cooper got stabbed, but I never really got the impression that was almost a decade earlier. Yeah, that Wyndham Earl has been locked up for 10 years is not in keeping with the timeline laid out by the series. Wyndham Earl stabbed his wife in 1985 in the series. Here, all of these things happened in 1979. And so it just, it leaves a really strange... uh, I thought I thought that they had 10 years together and all of this stuff happened about four years before Twin Peaks. Yes, that's what I got too. Instead, the idea that they had a couple cases, most of which the cases that Cooper talks about, he solves on his own. He did not need Wyndham's help and he did not seem to be around at the crucial moments of busting cases. There's one mention where he finally had to kill somebody and Wyndham was there. But by and large, uh, he plays as much of, a part in Cooper's life as Albert does. Yeah, it's really disappointing. I would have thought, since that's the hook, that's Cooper's mystery that is brought in after Laura Palmer's murderer is caught, this seems like the area you'd want to focus on and have a through line to. And the fact that he meets Wyndham Earl for the first time at an FBI recruitment center, I actually kind of like that. I wish it had happened earlier. They could have had a correspondence beforehand, before the enrollment, instead of just kind of coincidentally being partnered in Philadelphia after the fact. There's ways this could have been fleshed out and lengthened and focus a little bit more on this stuff. And instead of saying this is every tape that the archivist who wrote it had access to, curate and say these are the good ones. Yeah. I I feel like the best stuff is the stuff that has nothing to do with setting up things in the Twin Peaks universe or Wyndham Earl or any of it. What I like is that when Cooper finally recovers from being stabbed and losing Carolyn and coming to grips with the fact that his insane mentor probably rigged it all like his chess games. Which he knows way too early since he seems to find that out in Twin Peaks. Yeah, but I like what he does. He asks for reassignment, goes to San Francisco, and then ends up going into the gay leather scene to stop a serial (laughs) killer there. That actually was the most fun stuff. The fact that he had to grapple with the fact that there were so many Eagle Scouts with him on the dance floor and that he was having more success attracting men than women. These were the kinds of things where I thought, oh, I'm learning something different about the character. I'm seeing him in a different way. And it's fun to play off of that. It's, of course, also setting up the fact that this is the first time he catches a serial killer, which is obviously what he's building up to do in Twin Peaks. So there is a a tether, but it's not so obvious. It's not so direct. And when this book is on the nose, as it often is, I feel like it 
is less entertaining. I agree. I actually would prefer some of these intermediate cases, the post-Wyndham Earl, pre-Twin yes. Peaks cases, as prequel movies instead of Fire Walk With Me. Absolutely. The San Francisco one, when he meets Dennis Bryson and goes to work with the DEA, these adventures he has in the 80s, I would absolutely love to have seen dramatized. <laughs> Yeah, or just more of it here in the tapes. I honestly think that you could think of it as what were other Cooper adventures? I would have rather focused on a small part of a case that Cooper solved that had nothing to do with Twin Peaks than to just have it be just a bunch of references to Cherry Pie. and. Of course, this is what they do today, right? I mean, now tie-in fiction is so crazy that they would just have a series of Agent Cooper novels, right? The cases before Twin Peaks. But if they caught the voice of the character as well as Scott Frost does here, and if they were entertaining, I actually might enjoy that book. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy these segments. The 80s, for me, is where the, the it is the most entertaining because Cooper is an FBI agent. I'm not so crazy about his adventures as a kid. But now that he's an FBI agent and he can do stuff, yeah, I like the fact that he's going to go undercover. You know, he eats all of these sweets and then has to pose as a dentist patient in order to stop this drug bust. Well, he knows he's going to have a lot of mouthful of problems and get cavities filled before he arrests the dentist. All of that is fun. And that is what they should be doing. Don't make illusions about what the show did. Make your own stories and tell us more why Cooper is awesome. And then you'll be in a much better way. Yeah, because I think, again, Frost did a decent job writing individual entries. He did a poor job plotting the book. Yeah. And of course, his probably didn't have much time, like Jennifer Lynch was told, you know, hit all the notes. You know, it feels like an assignment. And of course, the end of this assignment is set up the fact that he investigated Teresa Banks. I never thought that he did. And certainly when we see the movie Firewalk With Me, that isn't what happened. It's a huge discrepancy. But I never got the sense that Cooper ever had been to this region investigating a serial killer before he met Laura Palmer. I always took it that he was never in that region. He was never in Northeast Washington, but I got that he was in Oregon investigating Teresa Banks. Because when he goes, Diane, I told you we'd see this again. He's so familiar with the letters. It's the first thing he goes to. His knowledge of the Banks case. In the tapes, when you actually listen to the Diane tapes, it's because he read those files. Not that he actually worked on those cases. And they're probably well-known stories. I mean, people know case studies. They know about things without actually having been the person to do the investigation. See, I always took it that he was the investigator. And again, if you listen to our Fire Walk With Me review, that was the intent. And then McLaughlin wouldn't come back. And so they added more investigators. But I had always thought he was the primary on the Teresa Banks bits. And that's how this book plays it. I don't like the fact that they're trying to link him so much to Twin Peaks. Like it was his destiny that he had to be here. I never saw that. This is a stranger in a strange land. It was a guy who stepped into a world he had never been to before, but his previous adventures had prepared him to solve the case. That was the story I wanted to experience with Twin Peaks. The fact that he, his whole life has been building up to to walking with the fire and seeing Bob and investigating all these women that have been stabbed and murdered by brutal men. 
trying too hard. I, I do feel like there is a tendency sometimes when you're telling backstories to make every single observation a link to what we know and understand. And that, again, I think is a mistake. It's the wrong impulse. So what are your final thoughts? I kind of gave mine. It was an enjoyable read. I didn't feel bad for reading it, but in the end, it was fluff. You know, Cooper laments the fact that right before this cuts off here, that he's looking for a case that's worthy of his efforts, that he wants a Lindbergh baby case. And that's kind of what I wanted for him, too. I didn't think that Twin Peaks was his his first big break. I didn't think that that was the case that made him. But clearly, when you survey his life here, it seems like he really hadn't done anything that major until he got to Twin Peaks. And that's too bad. It makes me not really want to invest a lot of time in his autobiography then. Uh, I would say this is an amusing homage to what Kyle MacLachlan did with the character. If you like seeing Dale Cooper tell jokes and enliven the proceedings with weirdness, then I would say you're going to have a good time reading these pages. If you're someone that liked The Secret Diary because it gave you a purview into the world and the darkness, the creepy Twin Peaks vibe. All of those efforts here, I feel, are half-baked and unearned. So I'm really mixed on this one. I really love The Secret Diary. This one, I'll give it a pass for the big fans, but I would say it's non-essential. I'll say this. I actually stopped reading The Secret History of Twin Peaks to read this book. And God, what a wonderful oasis it was. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we're not covering that for a little bit. No, we're not. And hopefully I can finally finish that book. I've been reading it for about three months. It's a hard go. Hmm. <laughs> and we got other Twin Peaks novels to go through. I am going to be taking a road trip up to the Pacific Northwest. I'm very glad to have a travel guide. The next Twin Peaks volume is Access Guide. Welcome to Twin Peaks. They actually published a tour guide. If you just wanted to look at the town as it would be chronicled by Foders or Lonely Planet, well, Access Guide is what we get. And so I'm going to try to use that when I get to Twin Peaks land. I'm going to see how much of that I can use to appreciate my surroundings. When I get back from that road trip, we'll release that show. And we're going to have a not Twin Peaks related, but David Lynch related show in the next couple of weeks. Catching the Big Fish, David Lynch's autobiography, advertisement. We'll discuss it. Yeah, he finally, he's published several books of his art photography and pieces of artwork, but this is actually the first time his prose is going to be in print. And uh, yeah, I think it's a strange hybrid between self-help and uh, autobiography. We'll catch that in late April too, all building up to that new season of Twin Peaks. So fans, stay vigilant. It won't be long before we will have answers to all the things we've been hypothesizing. I know I have really enjoyed diving into the old show and cannot wait for the third season. So thank you for listening. And you may think we've gone insane, but I promise you, if you support your local bookstore, we will podcast again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. 
Now that you've heard this review, head to nowpeaking.com to hear Arnie, Stuart, and Jacob review every episode of the Twin Peaks TV series. You can also find many more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Books and Nachos is a crowdsourced podcast with no sponsors or ads. You can support our show by pledging to our Podbean campaign at booksandnachos.com support. Music is by Angelo Badalamenti. Music arranged by Aaron Lepley. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the well-known TV program Twin Peaks. Books and Nachos is an independent television review podcast with no affiliation with Twin Peaks Productions Incorporated or any other company involved in the publishing, creating, or distribution of that show. All audio and music used in this show are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Books and Nachos is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of the show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Diane, it's Wednesday. What is today? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm so lost. At, yeah, March yes, 29th. Okay. Diane, it's Wednesday, March 29th, 2017. 26, 27? Nearly 26. With his autobiography. This is now peaking. This is Books and Nachos. I'm Stuart. <laughs>